We have a special yard site this coming Thursday. That are Bishol Salanta, the great Gaon, Galador, and founder of the Muslim movement, who lived from 1809 till 1883. I thought it was a little bit beneficial to share a little about the man, his ideals, and his Torah. Truth is, according to our normal order, I was really supposed to speak last week, but I switched around with the Rashiva because I dafka like to speak about Ruby Searle. You might say there are plenty of tzaddikim, plenty of gaonim, thank God. The Jewish people has been blessed with outstanding men of letters. So every week we can focus on a different one. The truth won't be a bad idea. So what's so special about Ruby Searle Salanter? But I do believe that Ruby Searle is different. In a word, he is the father of all of the Lithuanian yeshivas of today. And through that, as I'll try to explain, a semi-father to really the whole Torah world in its wider sense, all institutions of Jewish learning. Let's explain. When I promote the yeshiva, I often use this formulation. We are a full-service, uniquely expert at skills building, comma, yeshiva. There's a lot in this, that description now is not the time or place to go into it. I just want to focus on the word yeshiva. What does it mean when we say that we're a yeshiva? We're not a university of Talmud. As Rabbi Silberg so eloquently says, this is a place where we grow as B'nai Torah. And we know that knowing how to tackle a text, break down a shakavatari, talk about a default position, visit Betsy and Justin... It's a very important piece of that, but it's only a piece. Maybe that idea is almost self-evident today. But once, historically, you must know it certainly wasn't. The Haskalah, the so-called Enlightenment, had made great inroads all over Europe. And you had yeshivas that were taken over with that ruach. Gemara is fun. It's intellectually challenging. Why not smoke a cigarette as you learn... Aktsos on Shabbos, Yerushamayim, Tikkun Midos, working on yourself, Tveikas, Tashem, connection to Rabbeim, old time religion. Those are archaic topics, the opiate of the masses. Not for us, we're enlightened people. I want to give a few examples for those that don't know. Rav Ruderman, who became the great Rosh Hashiva of Nehisrol, founding Rosh Hashiva of Torah in America. He at a certain point wanted to go learn by a certain goan. He was in Slobodka then, by the Alta of Slobodka. And Slobodka was a, was a borough of Kovna. And it was separated by a bridge. He used to say, you take the bridge into Slobodka, you never really take the bridge out. You never leave Slobodka. Beautiful way they used to say. So the Alta of Slobodka got up when Ruderman told him this. They wanted to go learn by this person who himself was a great goan and a tzaddik. But the Alters knew that he didn't have the don't know how to really understand the, t- the challenges fully of today's, of the youth of the time, and how to deal with that. So Alder said, if you want to go learn there, just go jump into the river right now. You may as well just get rid of it right now. For Fabian Schoenfeld, the famous uh, Rav in uh, the Upper West Side, he said that he met, and I believe a nursing home, of Iron Cutler's sister. Iron Cutler, person who changed America. And she said that then his sister was still saying how the world had lost the phenomenal mathematician that her brother could have been if he hadn't, if he hadn't wasted his time and turned himself to where he had been. It's very well known that Haskalah members tried a lot to turn a young Yisrael mayor 
few decades before this, uh, who, had, who was also a mathematical genius, and they were upset that he uh, thought it's time they worked on him. Now, both I want to make it clear. It's a fine thing to be, be a mathematician. Nothing against being a mathematician, right? The point is that her statement was coming out an utter, 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 utter lack of recognition of who her brother was. And what an amazing thing it is to be a Tamil Chacham and a Tzaddik. These are just a few isolated examples. There are so many. I just bring them that we should understand a little bit what's going on 80, 130, 140 years ago. And the Musa-oriented yeshivas, places in Europe, like that were run by Yusuf Salanter students, and students' students, names like Kelm, Mir, Kletsk, Lakewood, Neisro, Chaimbrel, and Hebron, Panovich, Grodna, the Chavetz Chaim, the whole chain of Chavetz Chaim yeshivas in America, Slabod, Karad, and Avardik, and its chains of yeshivas, stood boldly against that Ruach. And through having Musa Starim and Shmuzim and very wise Mashkichim and the like, guarded the true image of what El Yeshiva was. And without them, without them, just like we talk about the Maccabim one time saving the day for the Jewish people, and if it wouldn't have been for the Maccabim, Christ would have continued in a whole different way, a whole different level. So without them, it's hard to imagine what things would have looked like. And we certainly wouldn't be hearing in our yeshiva taking off time from our precious first seder, a musr shmuz. And we might have not have postkim in our yeshiva. We might not have lesson-oriented chumash classes. We might not have existed at all or just been a college of Talmudic studies. I want to just explain what it means for our little yeshiva here. We go through all the rabbim. It'll take a long time, so I'm just going to mainly talk about the rosh yeshivas. Watch this. So, Rav Karlinsky, Rav Haber, myself learned in Karambiyavna. That was run and started by Rav Chaim Yaakov Golvicht, who was a Talmud of Rizzo Zalman Meltzer, who himself had learned with Slobodka, and he was a founder of Kletsk. Rav, Rav Karlinsky, Rav Hershel, myself, all learned in the Mir Yeshiva for some time, where the Alta of Son's son, Rav Lez Yudafinkel, had been Rashiva, and the great Rav Yerucham had solidly and squarely put the Musser imprint in the Yeshiva forever. And of course, they heard Shmuza from Chaim Shmuel Levitz, who was a Talmud of Yerucham. I wasn't talking to hear from him, but I heard from Ari Finkel, who was a grandson. Or Kalinsky of Hirschfeld learned by Ramosh Shapir, whose father learned in Slobodka. And Ramosh himself was a Talmud of Dessler, who himself learned in Kelm. You got it? Or Hirschfeld's father learned in Zavardic. Or Kalinsky's father learned in Slobodka. And I believe uncles also. Let's do equal opportunity for our women's division. Midrash Rachel, our owner of Shurin, of course, his grandfather was one of the greatest, most illustrious of students of the Alta of Slobodka. Rav Hutner was a central Talmud of the Alta of Slobodka, and first of all, and myself, learned by Talmudim of his, and a very central Rebbe in the past, unfortunately, is, uh, was not with us in Yeshiva, Rav Farber Shlita, learned by Rav Hutner himself, Rav Silverberg, and my owner, Shiva Svikoshilevsky, Shlita's father learned Slobodka, and his father-in-law, Rabbi Gurwitz, was the son of our Rebbe Lopian, the famed Sadiq Talmud of Kelm. Finally, we almost all learned in one way or another by Revolba. Revolba's impression, impact is all over the Jewish world. It was a central student of Yerucham and the Mary Yeshiva, and we go on and on. We both say it's like this in almost any Yeshiva. I could do it like that in Aish, I could do it in the Machons. If I spend a little bit of time, I could do it in Orsameach. You get the point. So Rabbi Yisrael was the true father of all the Lithuanian yeshivas. But we started something, said something more far-reaching. In a word, he is the father of Lithuanian yeshivas, and through that a semi-father, and this is something which gets lost in history and has to be said, 
for the historical fairness of it, to almost all institutions of Torah learning in the whole Jewish world. How's that? Sarabosai. Let's take the Hezdi Yeshivas. For the first 20, 30 years, they were all heavily staffed by students of those Lithuanian Yeshivas. YU was also totally heavily staffed by the students of those Yeshivas, and still today is very much a large extent part of that world. Hasidi Yeshivas, until Mayor Shapiro came along, the idea of a large dominant central Yeshiva was basically non existent in Poland. That's what he was trying to do in Lublin. And before founding Chachmu Lublin in Lublin, he visited all the Lithuanian yeshivas to see their model and to learn from their model. But deeper than that, Rabosai, and we all know this, the Lithuanian yeshivas were definitely the standard bearer, as they are today, about standing Torah learning. You find, you don't find many Litvaks who learn in Hasidic yeshivas. We find many, many Hasidim that come learn in Lith- Lithuanian yeshivas, because that's where, you know, the, 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 the main Torah is being learned. The current Rashiva of the Mir, Blaise Yudel, before he became Rashiva, they say he was specifically very involved with a lot with the Hasidic Bachram and the Mir Yeshiva. So, Rabbi Sir was a semi-father to all these institutions also. By the way, I think in the last 20, 30 years, there's been a shift, and a lot of Hasidic is, Baruch Hashem, penetrated into a lot of Lithuanian Yeshivas, so everybody's learning from each other. So, both sides, here's the point. Rabbi Sir was a historic person, not just another Godel. You know, he was someone that I personally, our yeshiva, all the yeshiva, really the whole Jewish world, needs to have a deep and lasting, profound Akar Satov to, if you think about what I've been saying in the last ten minutes. Besides that, although certainly the Musr movement didn't live up to his grand hopes for it, that's for sure true, Musr, what Rabbi Sorol tried to impact into the Jewish world, has made an amazing effect on the thinking in general. It's, right? His picture, as you see written in his letters, isn't what exists today, but he definitely was Matzliach. Almost every yeshiva has Musr Shmuzim and Musr Seder. People around the world know to learn the swarm that he pushed. Mesil Zisharim, Shari Tshuva, Chobos Alavavos, and the books of his Talmidim, like Mechtam Elio, Ali Shor, Rabbi Rucham, Pachet Yitzchak to a certain extent. Everybody wants to hear a good, warm Musr Shmuz from time to time. Where does that come from? Why? And everybody looks to lessons when they learn Chumash. And doesn't just want to say a drive shot. It's fine to just say Pshut HaShemikra, but you see all over the Jewish world, we look to say more. That's all from him. So both sides, let's touch on this week on his Yorit site, on a few central aspects of his teaching. Maybe we'll be able to put into practice some of his lessons. First I want to add something I don't usually mention. Uh, here, which is an interesting point. The Taurus Avram, who was the last Mashkiach of Slobodki Yeshiva, Rabbi Mugadzinski, Hashem Yikom Domo, Agon HaKadosh, he said that Bittal Torah is a lot more far-reaching than we think about it. When you think about Bittal Torah, you usually mean like I wasted time. And if I don't waste time, if I'm, if I'm involved in learning, so I'm not being Mavatal's man. Another nice concept out there is the idea of 60 minutes in an hour, right? So you imagine the person who doesn't waste time, taking a break is not wasting time. Right? The break the person needs. But we know what wasting time is. We know what taking a break is. Right? But someone who doesn't waste time, someone who involved in 60 minutes, he's there. So Tarsifram says, no, 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 that's not it yet. Those are aspects of it. But if you're learning and coasting, but your mind is on learning, but you could be pushing yourself more, that's Bittal Torah also. Bittal Torah Real learning means working hard as you possibly can 
at understanding the concepts of the Torah, not being super satisfied with superficiality, and delving and delving and delving more all the time. As much as your brain can work things over, right, whatever level you are and whichever way you're learning. If you're learning faster, it's obviously going to be different, but if you're learning this way, etc. And he continues, the Torah of Ram, and he says, imagine someone who spends all their time learning, and someone who makes sure to learn 60 minutes an hour, and besides that is always maximum, maximum, maximum intellectual investment, that was a resource Salanter. That's what he wrote about it one time. Okay. Let's get on to the main things we want to talk about. It's Parshish Mishpatim. Mishpatim is the Parsha coming up. And it's been said many times that it was obviously Bahashkacha that Rabbi Sorol passed away in this Parsha. And it's always, his Yartzeit always comes out in the week of Parsha Mishpatim. Because so much of Rabbi Sorol taught, together with his Gaonis and together with his Yiluishkeit and together with the Yerushimayim, which is so much a part of the Musa, was a tremendous emphasis on Benam Lechabero, mitzvahs between man and man. And that's really the crux of what Parshish Mishpatim, so much of it is about halachas between man and man. So I want to share some of the Sidushim and some of the ways of thinking. And I have a few Hosafas this year, you'll enjoy. Rabbi Sorrel was asked, of course, what's the main kavan you have when you put on a talis? So what did he say? Make sure when you put it on, don't smack the guy behind you when you fling the tzitzis over. You know, you know that red line which sometimes appears on someone's forehead. He didn't go into the red line. I have a suffer this week, we both say something I used to recently. You know, people swivel sometimes when they daven. You know, that motion? You got the back and forth and you got the swivelers. Now, swiveling is great. Min chamarv. You know, more power to you. You want to swivel, go to it. You're single... Swivel all day. Yeah? But if you have a talus, and you're standing next to someone else, which often happens in our packed world of shuls today, your tzitzis is banging against the guy's leg who's standing next to you. You get that? Imagine the tzitzis flying. And now he has to put up with this tortuous, rhythmic feeling of your tzitzis against, smacking against him the whole dominating. Well, so you know what Chinese water torture is? <laughs> Rabbi Sorrel was asked, what's the main chumrah to be careful about in a fias matzahs? Coming up, fias matzahs, people bake their matzahs with, with sweat and a thousand chumras. So said, you know what? Don't work the almatas. Then it used to be widowed women were the ones who used to man the, the matzah factories in Europe. Don't work the women too. Worry about that chumrah. Don't work the poor woman too hard. He himself famously would use less water for Nitil Sidayim, because the maid, back then there used to be a well, and we'd have to go to the well, so he would use a smaller shear. I don't know if he'd only wash till here, or thing like that. Ah, oh, no, after the bracha, more, more water, more water. Yisrael said, there's a tircha for another woman, less water, less water. When the second day of Rosh Hashanah came, comes out on Friday, with Shabbos looming ahead, there's an Indian to say less piyutim, less of the extra things. It means there's the main body of davening, right? The ikr davening, as the Sephardim say, less piyutim in general. That's why they get, that's why they're davening off is shorter. But on Friday there was a minig. I don't know exactly how it goes today. It's a little shorter, I think, today, but not so much. But back then they used to shorten a lot, yeah, and cut out a lot of the the extra, if you will, that beautiful liturgy, of course, which is so perfect because of Shabbos coming up. The Rabbi Yisrael agreed with that custom. 
And he would even take out an Asanatokif, one of the most moving parts of davening. But there are certain types of piyutim he was unwilling to cut out. The piyutim between the different parts of Malchus, Zichron, and Shofras. You know why? Because the shots, Shlech Tzibor, needs a little bit of a rest. You get the thinking of Bosai? His Talmud's Talmud, Altus Labodka, saw a man embarrassing his wife at the Shabbos table once, and he says, you know, you cover the chalas, the poor chalas, the, the chalas shouldn't be embarrassed as you're making Kiddush. And you yourself, as you're covering the chalas, you're giving your wife a bad feeling. Alter also said the same type of thinking. It was said that, you know, people, when it comes to a cadaver, a dead person, they're so careful. Like, you know, if anybody ever watched the mace, had to be, you know, show him, like, the, the, the arm slips. You know, you don't want to, God forbid, push the arm. He doesn't feel anything on both sides. But, of course, a live person, you push him left and right, you know, step all over him. So, both sides, here's what I want you to hear. It wasn't just that he was careful about Benim L'chaver. He used his tremendous mind. Yisrael was going and going, and he said about himself that I have a th- the head of a thousand people, so I have to change the whole world. He knew who he was. He knew who his kosher was. But that kishrun, which so many people in learning just put into other areas, which he certainly did. Yisrael was showing in the whole shas, so we'll see. But he was pushing always to come up with these kedushim. It was a way of thinking, it was a way of looking at things, it was a way of delving and seeing a bigger picture of halacha than just the basic halacha in front. And it wasn't just chidushim, it was a way of thinking, an approach, uh, a constant awareness, a passion. So that same thing, our lesson, while we're in yeshiva, we're using, learning so much to use our heads, speaking to myself, of course, not just for, but we have to say, it's not just about, you know, another way to look at the halacha, another way to look at the gemara, it's another way to look at Ben Amlachaveru, another situation to find that I have to be more careful about another person's feelings and find new ways to make other people happy. A good word, a nice word. Where? Here? Maybe there. At the corner, I can give my friend a compliment when I take a coffee. A shochet came to the one time and he said to him, I can't take the responsibility anymore of Shrita. You know, if I make, it's very easy to mess up a shechita, both said, the knife has to be so-so, and the five basic halachas, so you got to cut a certain way. I can't handle the responsibility. So I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a rabbi. Very good. I teach children. Very good. So Michelle said to him, do you know how many halachas there are about teaching children? And you got to figure them out. I think if I remember correctly, he said, in Shulchan Aruch, it tells you exactly what to do. How do you know how to be a good rabbi? Where do you get that halachas from? There are myriad of halachas there that aren't written, that aren't written. I want to finish this sec- section of Bosai with a few uh, of his own. These were a lot of his statements. I want to share some of the ways we see he acted himself, just to get the feeling for the person himself. So there was an Ani who couldn't make a dollar, and he spoke to him. And he says, you know, he doesn't have, doesn't know what to do. So the only thing he could do, people used to make drushes to make money. People also make drushes out of money. But here, only had to be really, really... But then, you know, he used to go, sometimes they didn't have the rub of the town, maybe it wasn't a great speaker, I don't know. And he used to, like, um, traveling darshanim. So that's what this idea of Diaz Eitzah was, this fellow. He says, but you know, he wasn't such a good speaker, he didn't have such good drushes. Huh? So what would you do? Send him for a course. So Bistrol sat with him a few hours and told him, taught him a few drushes and went over and over till he had it 100%. And that's how he sent them off. He took care of him.
He says that there was, um, they used to have for wayfarers something called a hectish. What was a hectish? A hectish was like a place where the, it was like, a hotel would be the wrong word, it was like a, a, like more like a hostel, where the wayfarers would go. Now you have a lot of gvirim, very nicely, you'll have like a section of their house where they, you know, they, so, but they, they had a hectish. And the hectish in Kovna, at a certain point, was, was in terrible, terrible uh, situation that we relate to in these days, and it was in a sakana of falling. That was the, this area where the Aniam used to go. They had nowhere else to go. This is where they used to go. So Bisro was pushing, pushing, pushing the authorities to do something, and no one was paying attention to him. At a certain point, he snuck in in the middle of the night. Again, this is a place that the Shash was, was going to fall. That was the issue. Rabbi couldn't get the authorities to do anything. What did he do? He went and slept there that night. The next morning, the big news in Covenant was, you know, Rabbi Yisrael's salanter sleeping in the hectic. It got fixed uh, right. Then it got fixed the next day. So he put himself in, Mamish put himself in Sakanis Nefashis for the, for the poor, poor people that no one else was looking at. When he used to walk in the streets in Salant and he would hear, like, the shutters didn't work. You know, the same... The shutters, you know, the feelings in there, if a shutter doesn't work, it bangs against the thing. He used to fix them himself. This is the God of Adorable side. You understand? He would go and fix them themselves so that it shouldn't bother the people who were sleeping. It says when he was younger in Salant, he used to sleep, he used to learn in, uh, in a certain, uh, he used to learn in a certain uh, aliyah, in a certain like uh, attic. And his brother-in-law used to bring him cake and coffee. And he says, you know what, I'm good with black bread. Take the cake and you go bring it to the Niam in the town. But listen, we're making a deal. If you tell your father-in-law, your father, you tell the Shver, my wife, they're not going to stop doing it. So don't tell anybody. You keep sending the stuff to them and get me black bread and I'm good. The constant, constant, constant hatava. <coughs> and finally, listen to this. Oh, it's really almost imagine, unimaginable. I think even when we think about it, Sadiq today, his last moments, he's thinking about the time is going to get close to Hashem. What is that like? What he's been working for all his life? The end, maybe his final Hashem Nefesh. So Bisro was in Kenigsberg at this point. That's where his final moments on this world were. And there was a person, a simple person, not one of his students, a simple person was in charge of uh, taking care of him then. I know where his tummy them were, but uh, who knows. It was the last day, and Rabbi started talking about him. Rabbi out of the blue, started speaking to this fellow. You know, people are scared to be with a dead person. It's not so scary. It's a shtus. There's nothing scary. People get very scared to be with dead people. It's scary. It's, it's a foolish thing to be scared of them. It doesn't make any sense. You don't have to worry about it, etc. And a few hours later, he passed away. He understood. That's how he's passing his time, his last moments in the earth, thinking there's going to be this person, a pasha yid here, not even a student, doesn't sound like he had any special relationship with him, but he shouldn't feel scared with my body afterwards. Sarbosai, this is, you see who the, the you know, like we say in the Gemara, na kim, na darish na kim. It's a person who all that Torah that he lived, he was, you know, much more than it's, what we ever have written about him, that we know about him, was his whole life was in this constant hatavalabrius. Okay. I often speak about another aspect of his uh, of his Torah, which deals with man and psychology. Many, many saw their books written about Rabbi Yisrael as being a forerunner to modern psychology. He saw things before Freud saw them. But there's another aspect of his legacy, and it really is an aspect of his legacy, which I want to speak about, and I think it's more pressing in our time to mention. I'm going to introduce it with a story. The great Sav Sofer, the Sam Sofer's son, who was the greatest rub in Hungary, was vacationing in a certain place. 
And he said a shear, as you know, great Rabbanim do. And um, there was a simply dressed Lithuanian Jew close by who started listening to shear, and he basically ripped the shear to pieces. He started asking questions, and the Ksav Sofer was stuck, couldn't answer, etc. So afterwards, the Ksav Sofer was uh, what we have called had a Chalisha Sadas, you know, a simple Lithuanian yid, you know, destroyed my shear, you know, I'm the greatest Roman Hungary, and he's taking it apart. So I said, no, 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 don't worry, it was Rabbi Sosalanter. So I already knows he was okay, that was fighting and learning, fighting and learning. So what am I bringing out of Rabbi Yisrael never had a, rabbin, a Rabbanus. He didn't dress in the rabbinical way. He was a very, very simple person. The truth is, his original plan was to be a nister. He wanted to be unknown totally. Unknown totally and absolutely. This was his plan. And he had said to himself, there are three things I need to do that. One is I need to know Shas Mila B'Mila, because I don't want to open up a saber. Someone should think I know how to learn, but I have to learn. So the way I'll do that is no shas word for word. I have to be able to down with all the kavanas very quickly. No one should think I'm a big tzaddik by how fast it's daven. And the third thing I forget. I have to see if someone can find it for me. I'd appreciate it. So he was halfway through shas, on his way to total, uh, an, an, how do you say it? An anonymity. 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 Anonymity, right? That's where he was headed. And then he changed his mind. He says, no, in our generation, you have to reveal yourself. There's a lot of forces the other way. I have to reveal myself. So, Rebosite, although he couldn't remain as the absolute unknown that he wanted to, this idea is something that he penetrated into himself and his students, as we'll show. The idea of being private, being humble, walking gently, with Hashem. Not as the song goes. Fame. I want to live forever. People should see me and cry. That was the song when I was younger. People should see me and cry at my greatness. Galtus Labodka, a student, he was, he had, you saw Rabbi Sorob, certainly a Talmud of Talmudim of his, ran Slobodka for 50 years. There's not one official document that says his name on it. You can check the archives. Not one. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky was asked once, why did Altus Labodka write a Sefer? We don't have it. We have collected thoughts of his from students, but he himself never sat down to write a Sefer. Why not? So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky said, Dalta would have been much happier living and dying, and it would have been a, a stone in a cavern. He didn't want anybody to know about him. It wasn't a thing. He just had to, you know, save the whole world, so he did what he did. But there's no point. At a certain point, the Alta Slobodka's apartment was next to the base medrash in Slobodka itself. On a late Thursday night, you know, after Mishmar, they didn't have Chalant back then, but they had, you know, the rabbis had made some kichel and some milk, and they would come in and get the food. Where was Rabbi Salanter? Oh, excuse me, where was, where was, where was the Alta Slobodka? He was sleeping in, in bed already. He was in bed. So the Rebbe said to the boys, men, don't think my father, my husband was learning the whole time. You were learning, he was learning like Kila together with you. But when he heard you coming, he jumped into the bed. You shouldn't think that he was learning. Rebbeinish Finkel, going ahead a little bit, uh, Alfred's grandson, was once learning in his kitchen, and there was someone who was uh, a guest at his house. The guest came out, quickly put the Gemara aside, and he started peeling an apple. Well, so what's the idea over here? What's the message to us? These people lived with an inner world. 
Now, there's an old, old-time title, Hagona Mephorsum, the well-known Gon. Sir Ivan Leib Steinman said, that's a strange title. You want to be Mephorsum? That's what you want? You want to be, you want your name out there? Why is that a Sheva? Why is that a praise? So this is the pressing point for Rosh Bosa, and this is where we saw and his Talmudim, anybody who's around Revolva who saw it, the idea of developing an inner world. And the reason I chose to discuss this as opposed to other things in a certain way which I'd like to talk about more is because this concept is being challenged today like never before. You know, there's so many things that go on that we understand is not part of our worldview. So much of the, the shtus and the, the terrible things that go on, right? But this idea of developing an inner world and being a humble, not known person is different. And in that is its danger. What's wrong with taking snapshots of my food? You know, it doesn't say anything about in Shulchan Aruch. Why not advertise everything about my life all the time and make sure I have more and more friends, and more and more followers, and more and more likes, and more and more friends, and more and more followers, and more and more likes? There are kalas, Jewish from girls, who ask their seamstress to sew a special pocket into their wedding dresses so they can carry around their phones on their weddings. I read about a kala from our world, Rabosai, that took a snapshot of her and her chassan in the Cheder Yichud and immediately sent it out to her people. Can you imagine, Rabosai? Are we insane? Have we lost all decency? Have we lost all sense of what it means to be a private person, to live in an inner world, to be close to God, to close to people, close to friends. Bitsanua. And Rabosa, you know, living for the crowds isn't a happy world. It's a counterfeit. When they say in Ruchnius, last week's parsha we had it. It starts hard and it gets nice. Yerev Lachem Basov. Haskal is cautious and then it gets nice. The Rashi in last week's parsha. These things are the opposite. They start nice and they end up not nice. It's a counterfeit. That's why the whole world's running after it. Right? But we know where it ends up. Read the stories. 10, 15, 20, 25 years later. Of the rich and famous, or should I say the broken, divorced, and in rehabs. The inner world of Bosa is a happy world. Developing your ideas, your ideals, your world, who you are. Living your means. You know how much is going on in the Jewish world? People are propelled by other sending spending time, money on camps and on clothes and on weddings they don't have because they want to keep up with the Joneses and the Schwartzmans. Being happy with your life, the way your life looks, the way your husband presents, the way you're accepting your children for who they are, not wanting to be anybody else, not worrying about your Jewish neighbors think, certainly not your Jewish neighbors. This was another sterling truth that we still live so far past that, but the world, that's why I want you to see, I want you to feel the tension of how where these people lived no one should think that I'm learning at night. To Any good thing I do has to be out there right away and everybody should know about it immediately. And culture came to stupid things. Have a private world and walk humbly with Hashem. So we haven't even scratched the surface of our great father Yisrael, but at least we made a beginning. Bez Hashem, we can take this week of Parshish Mishpatim, get to know ourselves a little bit better, be more honest with ourselves, be more inner, and realize... There's a whole world of Benam Chaveru, which you mean to develop and focus on. And we should be Zoka to be Talmidim of this giant of giants, he is the Baruch.